super excited for tonight. Um, Jake Each is coming to pray to preach. Jake, you want to come on up? Remember, I, you got to grab your your thing on your way up. Um, Jake Each is the uh, lead pastor at Veritas Cedar Rapids um, in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It turns out, <laughs> and um, he's been there for I don't know seven, ten. eight, ten years. And uh, it's a sister church with us. They're in the Salt Nugget work as well, and they're making a massive impact in that city. Uh, Jake. Among most of us pastors in the Salt Network, he's like a preacher among preachers. He, uh, he probably doesn't like me saying that, but we all respect his ability to rightly divide the word of God. And it's a joy to have him here tonight with us. Um, and so I want to pray for him, and then I'm going to turn you loose, brother. God in heaven, um, we stand in awe of your words. Thankful for Jake, because he's going to rightly divide the word of truth for us. And so, God, I just pray that as he opens the scriptures, that your spirit would empower him. And, God, there's people coming in this room from a thousand different walks of life, some encouraged in the faith, some discouraged, some battling sin deeply, some just excited because there's freedom, some praying prayers that they've never dreamed imaginable, and some others still scared to pray because they don't know that they can trust you. Mm. And so, God, I just pray as he preaches tonight, it would land uniquely in our hearts, and your word would not return void, God, but that would produce a, a harvest of righteousness in this house. We trust it all to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, brother. Uh, it's good to be here. How about this weather? Uh, I think we got, I want to say 14 inches of snow in Cedar Rapids last couple days, uh, and my kids are gone, and it's just me and my shovel, and that was not fun uh, at all. But it's snowing here, uh, and we're, we're gathered to seek God together, and I love it. I love it. Uh, it's good to be here. When Brent reached out to me to come back and do this, I was, I was thrilled. I wanted to be a part of it, um, and, and he said, just bring a good message. I was like, wow, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, I don't know. We'll find out if it's good or not. He also said that you guys are like at the end of a three-day fast, so don't talk about food. I was like, that's half my material. Like, I don't, <laughs> it really cut my legs out here, but, uh, so I don't know if it's going to be good or not, uh, and, um, but I, I'm going to bring you an important message. I think I, I feel safe saying that. Um, I, I'm going to bring you important, in fact, I'm going to bring you what, what may be the most important message. Um, I think like when I got off the phone with him, I was like, what, what, what do we need to talk about? Um, what, what's, what's like the number one thing? Like what's the most important thing? Like if you don't get this right, everything's off. And I'm thinking if, if there was only a moment when one of the disciples would have asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? If they would have just said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? I was like, oh, there is that moment. Lucky for us, there was that moment where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Um, now, you guys know it. What is it? I know, it's like a safe little mumble. Um, but, I, but I know that you know it, right? The great commandments, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, like all of you love. And the second is like it. Like, yes, for one, I'm gonna give you two, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Like, even if, like, you're not, if you're new to church, you, you may have been like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Like, it gets talked about. And they, they straight up asked him, what's the greatest? There's a lot of commandments. 
We're trying to do our best, but what's the, what's the greatest? And he had an answer for that. So I'm thinking, all right, that's important. We need to get that. And if we don't get that, like, it's going to mess some things up. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, Matthew 22, um, to, or Matthew 22, and I'm just, I just want to tell you, I'm not going to preach this text as much as I want to preach that commandment. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of passages, um, but I want to like pick that text apart as much as I just want us to like get our minds around that commandment, because it's that commandment that is the greatest commandment. So it's not new information that Jesus gives them, like, oh, I've never heard that before. They're like, yeah, that's a good answer. Like, we've heard that before. It's, it's part of the Old Testament. It's part of all of Scripture. So what does it mean, that commandment? Let's kind of get to the heart of that commandment. So let me read uh, this commandment to you, and it would help if I had the right page. Here we go. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, go figure. Uh, no, sorry, there might be lawyers here. I didn't want to step anybody's toe. It wasn't a joke about food, so we're good. All right. One, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament. Like all of it kind of hinges on these two things. Now, there is no arguing that the call to love our neighbor is an important call to the believer. In fact, it's an important call that's often neglected because of self-centered living, laziness, that we just want to be about us. We don't want to put in the work or go the extra mile to really care for the people around us. But when asked the single greatest commandment, he says, I'll give you that, but I can't just give you that. Like, I'm going to give you that, and I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you the greatest commandment. I'm going to give you number one, but I'm going to give you number two, because they're, they're connected. They, they, they go together. But he did order them. He did say, this is first and this is second. So they go together, but there's, there's still a first and there's still a second. And he ordered them. Now, listen to this. I want you to get it. The good things in life tend to be the sneakiest idols. The good things in life tend to be the sneakiest idols. Work is a good thing, and we're to work unto the Lord. Sometimes our job becomes our idol. Family is ordained by God. It is a gift from God, and sometimes our kids or our spouse becomes our idol. It's those good things that are the sneakiest idols that when, when, when good things become the ultimate thing, becomes an idol. And the good things are the sneakiest idols. And if that's the case, it means that the second greatest commandment may be the sneakiest idol of them all. And what happens when number two becomes number one? When it's really like, love your neighbor, that's what we're all about Oh, yeah, and we need to love God, too. And it's like, can that happen? Like, we tend not to think about this, but there is, there is an idolatry of love your neighbor. There is an idolatry of church growth. There is an idolatry of reach your community if we're not careful. 
And if we're driven by just, we need to make our community better, we need to reach our neighbors, we need to better our world, but bringing glory to God is not driving that, then we're off. And it's so subtle, it's hard to even detect it because like, those are good things. Those are things we're called to. It's number two. What happens when it becomes number one? What happens when it becomes number one? We don't want at the end of this year to say like we reached, like we, we grew our student ministry. Salt is bursting at the seams. We've grown our membership. Like we're, we're bettering our community. We started this initiative. We started this initiative. And then here at the end of 2024, depart from me, I never knew you. And we're like, Lord, Lord, did I not this and did I not that? Like, I bet when you think of, I'm preparing for 2024, you're thinking, I want to get this, and I want to improve my marriage, and I want to reach my neighbor, and I want to make a difference in my school, and those are all good and godly things that you should pursue, but if you're not driven by the glory of God, you're off. You're off. So my goal tonight is to simply stir your affections for God, that you would just kind of kind of have a... uh, a hotter passion for God. My prayer is that the greatest desire for you in 2024 is to, I just wanna be close to God. I wanna be closer to God at the end of this year than I am right now. I wanna be more passionate about God. I wanna know him more. I wanna have a love that's just hot for God. And being close to God would not just be an assumed desire, but it would be a driving desire. And it's dangerous for church people when it's just an assumed desire. It's like, well, love God, of course. But how are we gonna reach our community, right? Of, of course I love God, but, but how are we gonna uh, raise our funds? Of course we're gonna reach out, but how are we gonna impact our campus? I mean, of course we're gonna love God, but, but how are we gonna, we just wanna like get into that. And listen, guys, when loving God is just so obvious, like, well, of course we do that. It can easily be assumed. But when something is assumed, it can easily be neglected, easily missed. It's like that first button on a button-up shirt. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't dress up too often, obviously. Uh, but in, in this profession, sometimes it's demanded. You got the weddings and funerals. And when I do dress up, those are the moments where it's like, oh, you don't do this too often, right? And, and if you miss that first button, you, you, you may not notice it because it's not that far away. Like, it's not a big miss. It's just like right there. And sometimes when you put it on, it's kind of cattywampus already. So it's like, I just, it's right there. And you don't notice it until you get all the way down. It's like, oh, I got a problem. Like something. And they give you extra buttons, which confuses me because it's like, why would you give extra buttons? So I'm counting the buttons, I'm counting the holes, but, but you know it's off. And you don't realize it until way down. And you can't fix it down here. You can't just be like, well, I'll just switch it here. And then you got that hump. It's like, no, you got to go all the way up and fix the problem up there. But this great commandment, I'm telling you, it's the first button issue. It's the first button issue. You don't get this right. Like it sets a trajectory of a mess. And here's the thing. You may not notice it until further down in life. 
And you're like, I just got a marriage problem. I got a debt problem. I got a money problem. I think I just have an addiction problem. And it's like, no, no, you got a love God problem. And you got to go all the way back to get that right. And sometimes too many church people are just trying to fix the problem at the end of the shirt. You got to look further up. So we're going to come back to Matthew 22, but to understand this first button, let's go to the beginning. So Genesis 1-1 is where I want us to go next. Okay, so Genesis 1-1, here's the passage. In the beginning, God, let's just stop there because that is loaded. And we don't want to miss that. And sometimes you can just read that quick. But, but this, is, this is telling us something important. In the beginning, God. God's the first button. Like before anything else, God. But before any passions, desires, goals, ambitions, issues, God. That's the beginning. That's where we need to begin. That's the first button issue. But there's more to it than that. Like it's not just, oh yeah, there was God. What about God do we need to get right? In the beginning, like what about God do we need to get right? What does God do? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So before there was anything, there was God, and God created the heavens and the earth. So everything that has been created is from God and dependent on God, which means nothing is greater than God. Think about it. Everything that exists, its source is God. The stars, the moon, the sun, the trees, the mountain, the canyons, sharks, right? The Bible talks about in Job, Leviathan. Like God made Leviathan to frolic. God did that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a grandpa this year. I know it's mind-blowing because you're like, you look so young. I get it. Um, but like in your mother's womb, like knitting a, a child together. God does that. That's a God thing. Galaxies. You ever see like those pictures from Hubble Telescope? Just kind of these amazing pictures in our, in our universe. Like that, that's God. And he speaks and they exist. Like it, it, how, it's how it comes about. And guys, to really understand this first button, we, we can't miss this. How big and powerful and good our God is. A.W. Tozer said this. He says, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So let me just pause for a little bit. When you think about God, what comes to mind right now? And if you struggle with that, hopefully you don't by the end of this message. It's a first button issue. The conclusions you make about God are either gonna line everything else up or mess everything else up. And there's more to it than just I believe in God. There's more being communicated here than that. It's more just like, yes, God is real, he exists, and he creates stuff. Like, we gotta get underneath that. Let's not miss some uh, conclusions to that that are really important to our life. And this is where uh, I believe even good, church-going, God-believing people mess up the first button. If I asked you, who is the creator? I bet you'd give me a good answer. 
It's God. God's real. He exists. He creates things. He made the heavens and the earth, but people that believe God created the heavens and the earth and the trees and the animals and the mountains often seem to think joy and fulfillment and satisfaction come from somewhere else. That those things have a different creator. I'm telling you, God didn't just make people and animals and planets and stars. He is the source of all things. Our desire for companionship, love, laughter, peace, joy. You have a feeling for joy. You have a craving for joy. Where do you think that came from? This longing for fellowship. Where do you think that came from? Marriage, bond between a man. Whose idea was that? Sex. Who came up with that one? This is God. It's the source of all things. And hear me now. If we don't get this, it is like missing that first button. And it'll set a trajectory it's going to confuse and mess things up later on in life. And we will look for what can only be found in God outside of God. And here's the thing. It's not that you don't believe in God. It's not that you even don't believe that God is the creator and he made the heavens and the earth. You just think, my job is going to satisfy me. My relationship is going to fulfill me. That paycheck is going to validate me. And you're off. You're off. And this is really what got us in Genesis 3. I mean, it, this is the, the root of that same lie. You remember Genesis 3? Adam and Eve in the garden. Like, you can't get a better setup than that. But there's this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and there's this promise or, or this, this lie that's given to them that this tree is going to make you wise. Oh, we get an upgrade. I mean, outside of the will of God and in disobedience to the commands of God, but you mean I can improve my situation? I can better myself? I can become wise? I can become like God? I mean, detached from God, but I can become like God? That promise of an upgrade? And you start to think that God is holding out on you. That something better can be found outside of him. And guys, that temptation came to them in the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine if it came to you at the DMV? right? Or at home at the end of a week, stressed out with kids, or in a job you don't really love. And this promise of, of greater fulfillment and greater joy and greater desire and an upgrade to your life outside of God's commands come to you, how easy it might be to buy into that. Guys, if we want to get this first button right, then you need to realize that God didn't just make earth and people and stars. He is the source of all things. He's the source of joy. He's the source of fulfillment. He's the source of peace. He's the source of contentment. I love uh, Psalm 1611. It says, in your presence, at the end of this, it says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. It's the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Everyone is chasing fulfillment. You have that in common with everybody on your street and everybody you work with and everybody you're related to. 
Everybody's chasing fulfillment. We want satisfaction, we want joy, we want contentment, we want security, we want validation, we want belonging. You wanna you want have this fulfillment, but if you think you're gonna find fulfillment in your job or in your relationships or your status or your income or what you drive or what you live in, your first button is off and it's setting a trajectory. And it's not by much. Now, you could see how somebody can make that mistake. It's, it's not too far away to think, well, like, I'm supposed to love my job. I'm supposed to work under the Lord. I'm supposed to get married and do this. I'm supposed to have, the, you know, passion for this. I'm supposed to, like, like, those things are not far off. You can see how somebody might make that conclusion. And then you just live out your life, and then all of a sudden, you're just like, I got some problems. And you're down here trying to solve your problems, and the issue's way up here. It's way up here. There was, um, there was an interview Quite a few years back, uh, 60 Minutes interviewed Tom Brady. You guys know who Tom Brady is? Okay, mixed audience. Some, I hear some guys, woo. The lady's like, I'm not so sure. Uh, he's, he may be the greatest of all time as a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he is tremendously wealthy. Uh, I saw a 30 for 30 with him, uh, and they, they filmed it at his house in Florida. And I was just mesmerized at the backdrop uh, because he had a pool with bridges over his pool. I said bridges, plural. Um, he had bridges over his pool, and I was just like, I want your house. I want you, I'm just gonna be honest in this moment. I was totally coveting that. Like he arrived, right? I know where, uh, this is Ankeny. Like you guys are legit, uh, but, but I don't know. Maybe you got bridges over your pool. I doubt it, all right? But, but you look at Tom Brady and just like married a supermodel, wealthy, uh, Super Bowl champion. Like he's, he's like, you look at him and it's like, that's, he's doing it. And he gets in this interview, he says this. He says, a lot of people would think Man, you've reached your dream. Yeah, a lot of people think that. So a lot of people would think, man, you've reached your dream. This is it. Me, I think, God, there's gotta be more than this. Like he's got it all, right? And he says, God, there's gotta be more than this. I'm like, that's ironic. I think you're onto something there. But nothing else is going to satisfy. Like you, you crave and you look at somebody, it's like, oh, you, you have arrived. And he, from that position of arriving, is like, no. Well, there's got to be something more than this. And listen to me. You were made by God, for God. Therefore, real fulfillment will only be found in God. Like you are wired for God. Look, look at Colossians 1, uh, 16. This is what it says. Usually works at home. <laughs> All right. Nope. Next one. We're going to get to that one soon. I'll just go to Colossians. All right. This is what Colossians 1.16 says. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. Like my eyes are getting worse. Okay, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And those all things include you. You were created for him. Listen, guys, life is not about you. And I know that's not a popular message and you're not told that too often. I love you. I'm telling you, life is not about you. But you are about God. You are about God. You were made for him. 
J.I. Packer said, we are cruel to ourselves if we try and live in this world without knowing the God whose world it is and who runs it. Like you are cruel to yourself to try to function and thrive in this world without knowing whose world it is, who made it, how does he run it, what's it about? We're cruel to ourselves if we try to find fulfillment without looking to the one who made us. And, and we're, listen, we're flesh and bone and muscle and we need air, uh, we need food, we need sleep, but, but you're also a soul and your soul needs God. Uh, do we got uh, Psalm 63 up there? If not, I know it's my fault, not yours. We got our Bibles open. Psalm 63. All right, verse one, he says this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Then you go to verse five, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. It's a Bible diet, it's not catched on quick, I'm living it out. Wasn't supposed to say that though, but it's in the text, right? And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Like you have a soul and you are wired for God in your soul. And we can go to all other places, especially in the Psalms, it just talks about your soul craving God, your soul needing God. Or Philippians 1, 12, let's, let's go to that passage. Paul says this, you guys are probably familiar with this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, we can quote that a lot and really be far off. And here's what I mean by that. You could say that and mean it for all the wrong reasons. You could think, well, for me to die is gain because I can't wait to get out of this place. I can't wait to get off of this broken earth. I can't wait to get that new body. Right? I can't wait to experience paradise. Why does Paul say that though? If you go down to verse 23, here, here's what he says. You're embarrassing me. What's that? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I just made you feel bad. I, that's it. Let's go. I got my Bible. We're, we're, we're good. It's like new people we haven't met. This is awkward. All right. Here's what he says. Philippians 1.23. He kind of explains himself. I am hard pressed between the two, like to live or to die. He's like, I can't, I can't decide. Do I want to live? Do I want to die? He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Why did he think dying is gain? Closeness to Christ, to be with Christ, to be with God. My soul longs for you and it could finally drink in that special way in your proximity. Is that why you think dying is gain? We can't afford to miss this, guys. I, I think we often have a gospel that stops short. It stops short with forgiveness. It stops short with eternity. Let me tell you, the best news of the gospel is not the forgiveness of sins. The best news of the gospel is not everlasting life. The best news of the gospel is that we get God. We get to enjoy the glory of God forever. That is the ultimate goal of our salvation and that is why Christ died, to reconcile us back to God. Romans 7, 4, we got that one? 
Yeah, my man. All right. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, who? To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. That's why, in order that we may belong to him. Here's another one, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's why he did it, like to bring us back to God, to reconcile us to God. God is the prize. He's the ultimate reward. And guys, when you understand this, you better understand sin. Because sometimes we just reduce sin down to immorality, like doing bad things. But you go back to the garden and be like, I don't think it was wrong to eat fruit. Like that's not against fruit. And it's not just disobedience. Like when you get underneath the sin in Genesis 3, it's like they rejected a trust in God and they longed for something other than God. That's what happened. Or you see this in Jeremiah. Um, this Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13 says, as a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Like, you ought to see what my people did, and it ought to disgust you. Here's what they've done. For my people have committed two evils. Now, time out. If you've read the two Old Testament, you're like, I think they did more than two, right? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say at least four or five. Like two evils, like what are you talking about? But he's saying, no, everything boils down to this. And these two are pretty much just the same way of saying the same thing. He says, here's what they've done. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's what else. It's like, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've, they've dug cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So it's like, well, that's, that's bad and stupid. You're saying you, you, they're thinking they can find fulfillment outside of me. That's the heart of sin. Romans 3.23, you guys know this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we quote that, but have you ever been like, what does that exactly mean? We fall short of the glory of God. Of course we fall short of the glory of God. Angels fall short of the glory of God. No one's gonna be as glorious as God is. So what is Paul saying when it's, we fall short of the glory of God? He said, here's, here's what sin is that all of us have done. We fail to glorify God as we should. We don't see how awesome God is. We fail to worship him as he deserves. We fail to love him like he deserves. Guys, I know your greatest struggle. And you may think it's pornography, or it's greed, or it's jealousy, or it's alcohol, or it's gossip. No. Your greatest problem is you don't love God as you should. I mean, you can't break commandments two through 10 without first breaking number one. Have no other gods before me. It's a, it's a worship problem. And maybe you've reduced sin down to just immorality. And maybe you've reduced the gospel down to just forgiveness or just eternal life. And you're missing it. I mean, not by much. I mean, you connect it to other biblical buttons. It's just not number one. You set a trajectory in life that's off. And hear me now. Lean in, because I think there's enough of you in this room, and, and maybe you believe in God, and you know you're a sinner, and you want forgiveness, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, and you're still missing the gospel because you don't treasure God. 
You, you want to be forgiven and go to heaven when you die, but you still think you need that job. You still think you need that relationship. You still think you need that status to fulfill you. And God is great. We love God. We are pro-God, especially when he's helpful in getting what we truly prize. God, if you could help me get that promotion, and if you could help me get that relationship, I'll praise your name. But if God himself is not the treasure of your heart, then your gospel is off. Not by much, but you'll notice it further down. So let's let's be honest. At At least be honest in your own head right now. When you think about heaven and eternity, would it matter much if God weren't even there? I mean, sometimes when I think of my desires for eternity, I can think of that cabin on a lake, and all my best friends live on it. I've lost a good 50 pounds. I catch a trophy fish every cast. It's beautiful every day. I see my grandpa. I love it. And I told you nothing about God or Jesus Christ and that vision of eternity. Listen to me. Why do you want to be forgiven? Why do you want to go to heaven when you die? There is a wrong way to answer that question. Who doesn't want to be forgiven? Who doesn't want to go to heaven when they die? You don't need to be born again to want to be forgiven or to go to heaven when you die. Why do you want that? If you want to be forgiven and go to heaven when you die, but you don't really care if God is there or not, your first button is off. And it'll mess up your life. You won't notice till it's further down. But when you start out making life about something other than God, everything else will be off. Like when the Israelites um, rebelled after God rescued them out of Egypt and Moses goes up to kind of get the 10 commandments and they got a little impatient and they make that golden calf to worship, right? Aaron got questioned, but he's like, hey, they they gave me my jewelry, I threw it in the fire, out jumped a calf, like I'm innocent here, right? But they, they created this golden calf to worship. So when Moses comes down, God is understandably ticked off. And he, he's like, I'm done with this people. And he makes this interesting uh, kind of offer to Moses. Go to the promised land. I told you you would have it. I'll send, send an angel to help you get it, but I ain't going with you. And Moses, in his response, this is awesome. He says like, well, if you ain't going, we ain't going. Because you're the prize. Not the promise. They got offered the promised land without God. And Moses was like, no, 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 no. It's not the promised land. It's you and your presence that's the best prize here. And God was pleased with Moses' response. So he says, hey, I'm going to grant you some. What what, what do you want, Moses? And Moses' request, this is awesome. Moses' request is like, I want to see your glory. This is Moses. I mean, he saw the burning bush. He had this close relationship with God. He would go to the tent. God would come down. They, like he, he already had this awesome experience with God, more so than anybody else had had. And what was Moses' request? I want more. I want more of you. I'm not going anywhere without you. And if you would offer me anything, what I would ask for is just more of you. The one who understood him best was like, yes, please, I'll take seconds. And thirds, just give me more. And God was like, this is my paraphrase, but God's like, 
you ain't ready for all this, right? You go, you'll get in that cleft of a rock, right? Cover your face and I'll pass and I'll let you look on my backside. You can study the Hebrew, but it's like, you, you can peek at me when I go by, right? That's what he says. And just to peek at his backside, Moses' face shone. And that's just not like poetic language. They literally put a veil over his face because it was just too bright after that experience. What kind of glory are we dealing with when a glimpse of God's backside literally makes a face shine? And we would treasure other things over that? When you in that situation, we'd be like, okay, I'll take the promised land. Or do you know enough to be like, no, I don't want that without you. You're the prize. Listen, I know it's hard to grasp because what we see now is the house and the car and the relationship. And, and we, we know it, it's, it's pleasing to the eyes. It's pleasing to the heart and we, we want it. But I'm telling you, nothing and no one is going to fulfill you like God. He is the source of joy. He's the source of fulfillment. He's the source of peace. And Jesus Christ came to reconcile us back to him. God's the prize. And listen, when God is your prize, you are not looking everywhere else in this discontented spirit of, to satisfy you. And I need this, and I need this, and I'll go here, and, I'll, and then I'll do this, and I'll get really into this, and then I'll get really into this, and I'll move here. And it's just like you're just unsatisfied, and you're just always looking. When God is your prize, you're not crushing under or other people under your expectations. You need to fulfill me and you need to satisfy me. You need to make me happy. And when God is your prize, you're not devastated when things don't work out or you were let down or you didn't get that job or you didn't get into that school because you have satisfaction in God already. And when God is your prize, it's what our neighbors need the most. They need to see somebody prize what should be prized. That's why there's the connection. Go back to Matthew 22. He says this. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself Second is like it. It's like it. It gets connected. There's a connection between the two. We love God by loving our neighbors. Like anything that you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. But do you know the other way is true too? Like we love others by loving our God. Like that's how we're a light like a city on a hill or salt to the earth, people who treasure God. And the order of these commandments matter. That The first is the priority. If you reverse these and you think to love your neighbors first and the second commandment is to love God, then we think loving our neighbor is the priority that defines what it means to love God. So the neighbor sets the agenda and we're just out to make our neighbor happy and please our neighbor and we hope our neighbor's happy with me and that's somehow religious devotion, but it's not that way. It's the other way. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, which means that's the priority that defines what it means to love your neighbor. The greatest way to love your neighbor is to help them see how satisfying God is. 
the gift that God is, the joy found in God, the peace found in God, the contentment found in God, that you would show them God is the satisfier of your soul. He is what you need. You, you may not know it. You may be down here trying to fix your marriage and fix your addiction and, and find something. It's like, no, the problem's up here. So, Keystone, if, if you want to make a difference in your community and on your campus and in your world, how is your love for God? Like, how is your love for God? Would your neighbor look at you and see a satisfied soul? Would they see somebody content in the sovereignty of God? Would they see somebody satisfied and joy-filled because of God and the work of Jesus Christ in their life? How is your love for God? Because sometimes in our effort to be good Christians, we forget what it's all about. I mean, in Revelation 2, that, that letter to the church in Ephesus, it was a problem. A good church in a lot of ways, but they lost their first love. Have you lost your first love? I'm telling you, listen now, it's not about forgiveness. It's not about heaven. It's not about good deeds. Forgiveness is just necessary to have a right relationship with God. Heaven is just the location in which we have a relationship with God. Good deeds are just the things that please God in that relationship. It's about God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. In the midst of ministry and trying to strive and, and do all these things, that you miss the number one commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart soul, and mind, strength, everything in you. That's why worship is so important. Like you come back and it's this moment of be like, it's all about you, I love you, you're the prize, you're the treasure, it's all about, like your heart and soul needs that. So in 2024, I know you got your ambitions, I want you to have big prayers, I hope you, I hope you see God work amongst you and through you in powerful ways. But, but, but here, here's something that I think would anchor you in this next year. Would you make corporate worship a priority in your life? Like, I'm gonna be here with my church family on Sundays, and I'm gonna be a participant in worship, and I'm gonna sing at the top of my lungs, and I'm just gonna declare my love for God because my soul needs it, and if I don't do that, Monday's coming and Tuesday's coming, and things are gonna pull at my heart, and I need to, like, guard my heart for God. I need to reinforce a passion for God. Would you just make worship your personal expression of praising God? You don't know how important it is. Would you make that a priority in 2024? That you're gonna worship, and I, and, and I hope that in doing so, you would show a watching community and a watching campus and a watching world where real joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction comes from. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would I pray that you first would forgive us. That we treasure other things more than you. Things that don't satisfy. It just now in this room, would, would you, as your spirit can only do, would you convict? 
I was more passionate about lesser things. Just this week, I was more passionate about lesser things than, than you. That I long for lesser things than you. That I haven't worshiped you as I should. Would you convict and would you just, would you by, by your goodness just open our eyes and help us see how amazing, precious, good and powerful you are. Would you be the desire of our heart? Would we desire you above all other things? Father, just now in this moment, I want to confess, we need you to want you. We need you to want you. And would you just open our eyes to your goodness, that you would be the treasure of our heart. And would this watching community see the satisfaction we find in you. And when they come looking, pray this in your name. Amen.